Hey, I'm sex, love, and relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman, and for the last 30 years, I've been helping people learn to love and be loved better. Welcome to the Language of Love Sessions. This is where I get to work with you one-on-one, on air. You, my listeners, my goal in these sessions is to empower you to enjoy better relationships, both with others and with yourself, and to help you embrace how precious and sacred your body, your love life, and your sexuality really is. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. Jennifer, what is up for you? How can I help? I am in my 40s and have never really dated or been in a romantic relationship. I'd like a few things that people get out of relationships, companionship, emotional connection, and probably sex. So I have a sense that I want to explore a relationship, but I have no desire to date. So I seem to still be holding myself back a bit. And so I'm looking for two things. A, how to get over that hump of not being interested in the thing that might lead to a relationship. And B, if I get over that hump, how do I actually approach this? Okay. And when you say that thing you want, I think if I understand you correctly, you mean you think you want a relationship, but the hump you're trying to get over is dating? Yes. Well, I think I want the emotional connection, the companionship and the sex and the models that I'm around that people usually get that from their primary relationship. Yeah. Okay. And you said you're in your forties. Yes. Okay. And so have you ever been in a relationship? No. Okay. Have you ever had sex? No. Consensual sex? Let's start there. No. No. Okay. And have you ever had unconsensual sexual relationships? No. Usually someone doesn't get to age 40 not having been in a relationship or having sex or anything without feeling aversive, like an aversion to sexual contact, to connecting with people like and usually that's related to you know we're typically not born with that aversion it's conditioned into us or it's traumatized into us so when you've thought about this and i'm sure you have what do you come up with as the issues or as the reasons i wouldn't say i'm averse to sex but i of the three things that i want out of a relationship I would say I feel sexually attracted to men, but Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily feel like the companionship or the emotional connection is something that I want to pursue with men. So is it possible you're asexual? Do you have thoughts, fantasies, motivation to be sexual? Do you have a sex drive where you have thoughts and fantasies? Yes. I wouldn't say I'm an extremely sexual person, but I also wouldn't guess that I'm asexual. Yeah. Okay. So you you do have those thoughts and feelings. And and it sounds like while you're more emotionally and intellectually attracted to women, but you're physically and sexually attracted to men. Yes. I think also with men, I don't see myself very easily being vulnerable emotionally with men. Okay. So that's where the aversion comes in. And I, when I say aversion, I don't mean like it's like a phobia. (laughs) I mean, it could be, but I mean, that it's it's something that is not attractive to you, that you don't feel pulled to, that in fact you tend to avoid and you have avoided it for 40 something years, right? Mm-hmm. So where is, where I'm guessing it started with your father or maybe modeling that happened in your relationship growing up, 
But where did the messages begin and the, even the experiences begin that men are unsafe to get vulnerable with or that they're not capable of really meeting you where you are emotionally and taking care of your emotional safety? Hmm. I would say probably in middle school, a lot of the men that, or a, a lot of the boys that I was around seemed like they were interested in interacting with girls for more like physical stuff. And I would also so they seemed they, more interested in the physical, you mean, than the yes. emotional? Uh-huh. Yes, which probably yeah. is the case with, you know, most kids or yeah. teenagers. Most middle school um, teenage boys, yes. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't make it any easier for the girls. What about with your dad? What was happening with him? I would say that my parents are still married, but for most of my teens and 20s, I and 30s even, I would say I thought that they should get divorced. So they were, they didn't seem to be getting anything from each other, other than sort of security. Okay. And this, and I get that. And that's part of it, right? That you didn't have a model of what a healthy relationship looks like, but that's not enough to land you where you are. So what Mm. about your relationship with your dad? I would say my dad certainly took care of, you know, provided for the family and everything like that. But so I could rely on both of my parents to, you know, for my sort of physical give you food and shelter. Yes. Yes. But I would say that was about the extent of it in terms of emotional support. I would say my And were they absent emotionally or were they harmful emotionally? Because there's a, you know, there's a continuum there, obviously. But I'm guessing it's more than indifference and it's more than emotional indifference and emotional neglect, which I'm sure there was both of those things, even though they were there for you and they took care of your needs. And, you know, it was obviously they were invested in you. That's this piece of emotional connection, emotional safety. I can show up as my authentic self and I am loved because of and for my authentic self and the people who are my primary caregivers and my safety in the world see me. I am seen. Mm. I am understood. I am loved for who I am and I am emotionally safe. That was not there. So why was that not there? What was going on that gave you the message that those were? And by the way, I feel you tiptoeing around this and I'm like kind of a bulldozer and just go right (laughs) to the issue. As you know, but let me help with your tiptoeing and clarify my bulldozing that none of this is to say that your parents are bad parents or bad Mm -hmm. people. They did or didn't do, because in many cases, it's what parents don't do, right? Often, I think in your case, it's both. But they, we do and we don't do what we do and don't do as parents that harm our children. 99.9% of the time, I mean, in the rare, rare, rare occasion, is it intentional? Mm-hmm. It's almost always unintentional and it's almost always secondary to our blind spots and our traumas and our wounds that we are dealing with that we got from our parents and they got from their parents and they got from their parents. Right. So none of this probing I'm doing is intended to paint your parents as bad people or wrong or bad parents. Right. Mm-hmm. We just want to understand where your wounds are. So prefacing mm-hmm. this question <laughs> with that, what is it? in the nature of specific to you. And I think it's really specific to your dad 
that it may be both of them, but it's a lot around men and dad, right? Was he critical? Was he completely mm. indifferent? Was he impossible to connect with? Mm. What, what was it? I would say, so particularly in my high school years, I believe he was depressed, but no one said that. And so he would come home from work. He went to work very early, came home relatively early in the afternoon and would go straight to bed mm -hmm. and would maybe get up to eat some food. But yeah, otherwise but you, had, you had already made this decision inside yourself way before your teenage years and the stuff you were seeing with the boys at school and them kind of objectifying the girls and not safe emotionally because of that was just like confirmation to you. This mm. would have been as early, even pre-conscious, I think, beyond your memory, like age two, three, but even as early as five, six, seven, what I'm sensing is that there were a lot of times, and maybe it was because he was depressed or had other stuff going on, but there were a lot of times where you often and always, where you made what therapists call a bid. You made an emotional bid for engaging Daddy, look at me, or Daddy, look at the picture I drew, or you're dancing around. Daddy, look at my dance, you know, like little kids do. Mm. And you were met with a wall. Mm. That's what I'm getting. And I don't know if that's true or not. And that's the metaphor I'm seeing. Like it, it was like you were met with stoicism and indifference and annoyance, but mm. not affection, enthusiasm, and safety. I can't really remember what I experienced with that with with any bids but I can say that everything that you just said I observed between my mother and him mm -hmm. and do you so, have any memories of him when you were little of positive emotional connecting moments with him when you were little riding on his shoulders sitting on his lap giggling with him taking a walk with him holding his hand and talking to him any memories like that there are pictures of him kind of leaning down. There's one in, one picture in particular of him leaning down and talking to me and we're both smiling when I was like two or less. So I have that as sort of a interaction and like we did things together. We took a trip when I was 10 that was just the two of us, but I don't necessarily remember like actual connection. It was more like I knew that he was proud of me because he would videotape my events, but I, mm -hmm. I don't know. And he would do things, but I don't know that I felt a connection with yeah. him outside of. And what happened that on that video. trip? When you went on that trip, do you have memories of like talking to him about important stuff or was it more like you just were kind of side by side and not really engaged side, side by side and experiencing the place that we were as tourists i wouldn't mm -hmm. say we had any real deep conversations yeah and so who did you did you confide in either of your parents or talk to either of your parents when you ran into trouble or were having issues with friends or worried about your grades or any of the things that kids face growing yeah. up to a certain point until sort of early middle school, when I remember the last time that I confided in my mother was about a 
party that I had been to that the kids were kind of making out and stuff. And it was, it was a lot. And I, I was overwhelmed and not set by it. And I came back and told her about it. And her reaction was to call the parents of the kids involved and inform them of their kids' behavior, which of course got back to the kids, which got back to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you learned in that moment, (laughs) maybe. Did she give you any comfort? No, she typically skipped the comfort to being angry either at me. In this case, she wasn't angry at me, but she was yeah, she skipped right over the comfort to the support. This is yeah. bad and I'm going to go do something about it. And have you had any relationships with girls, women, whatever who that are like are you do you have friendships that are emotionally supportive and good to an extent and I also make friends with women who are sort of similarly professional, similarly kind of self-aware, but I can't say that I've had someone, I've had relationships where I've very easily been able to be completely vulnerable, particularly around like feelings, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And chances are you're choosing and attracted to and attracting in friends who are at your same level of emotional availability. And so they don't ask that they don't need that and you don't either. Right. So it keeps everything superficial. And the key to so what you started off telling me is that you like, let's just put sex aside. Sex would be great. Right. Sex is easy to get. That's not the problem. The problem is that you are bereft of deep emotional intimacy in your life Mm -hmm. and your soul and your heart is craving that, which is good news as painful as that is, because a lot of people would have just shut that down completely. And maybe Mm -hmm. in the dark nights or once in a while wish for things could be different, but they're so disconnected from the heart center that they don't even crave it or want it. What Mm -hmm. really inspires me about you and your question is that you want it, right? But you've never had it. You've never had it because it wasn't available in your family of origin growing up. And that's where we learn that it's okay to take emotional risks, that my feelings will be held with reverence and and support. You didn't get that, right? That someone wants to hear about my feelings and will take care of them when they receive my feelings. Didn't get that, right? And so to me, there's like a stepwise progression here Mm. and it's less about, it's less about getting into a love relationship. Like that's the highest stakes in my Mm. opinion. Mm -hmm. Forget about sex, stay with self-stimulation and fantasy for now. Because when you do have sex, I want you to have it with someone who you really trust and are safe with. Mm. Okay. And that's not beyond the realm of possibilities. But if you were okay with casual sex, you would have had it by now, mm-hmm. right? And you don't want that, mm-hmm. clearly. Correct. Right? Okay. Hey, don't forget to go to drlauraberman.com. You can find so much great information there and sign up for my newsletter so you get weekly updates on how to love and be loved better. And also on my website, you can get my brand new ebook, You're Not Crazy, You're Just Ascending. It's a practical guide 
to spiritual awakening that many of us are going through right now. And it's enough to make you feel crazy. So check it out. I'm here for you. Always helping you learn to love and be loved better. So what I really want for you is for you to focus less on a romantic relationship and more on calling in at least just one friendship that can hold emotional intimacy. If you can start there, right, Mm -hmm. then you start to build the muscle, the muscle that's really atrophied in you from your, you know, it was it was being built like every child in childhood. And then it got cut off. And then that muscle has atrophied is the muscle of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Right. And vulnerability is the key to intimacy. Intimacy is into me. See. Right. So you can't be emotionally intimate with someone with whom you can't be vulnerable. It's Mm -hmm. impossible, right? That's what you're talking about when you talk about these friendships that are nice and lovely and shared interests and goals, but there isn't a closeness there. There isn't an intimacy there because there isn't authentic vulnerability there. That's okay. I hear that. (laughs) And I'm glad I was going to ask you if you have a pet because that's even tier one, like being intimate vulnerable with your pet. Sometimes I've worked with people where that's the first step. Like, do you have a pet who you can feel emotionally safe with? Mm. Right. And who you can tell your problems to. Do you do that with your cat? I wouldn't say I tell my problems to her, but I, I definitely have shared like physical connection and cuddling and stuff like that. That is that I, yeah. Well, that's great. Now start also practicing telling her your secrets telling her your fears, telling her your your insecurities or the things that that make you feel being vulnerable with her, right? And mm. my guess is early on in your pet owning or pet partnering career or you probably were struggled with the physical affection, right? So you're able to have physical affection with her, with the cat, now have emotional connection even if it's one-sided. She's not going to talk back to you, <laughs> but believe me, they understand, right? And then it's about moving into friendships. And maybe there's some existing friends that you have that you can maybe try this out with where Mm -hmm. you just share something. It doesn't have to be like your deepest, darkest secret, but like something a little embarrassing, something a little... Something silly or stupid you did, not necessarily, you know, a huge revelation, right? But something small at first where you admit or acknowledge or share something that's vulnerable, right? And you know what I mean by vulnerable, right? Yes. I think for a long time, I thought I was being vulnerable with people because I was very honest about virtually everything in terms of like, if I messed up or if I, but I think there's a difference about talking about it analytically and being emotionally vulnerable. So yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you are being vulnerable when you admit your flaws, right? Or your mistakes or the things you screwed up. That's a level of vulnerability that a lot of people struggle with right there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the next level, which is what I think you're talking about is I did this thing that messed up and I felt really scared. Right. Or Mm -hmm. I sometimes Mm -hmm. wonder if I sometimes have a hard time wondering if I'm ever really going to find love. And sometimes I just feel really lonely or I'm feeling really sad today because Mm. X, Y, or Z happened, right? So 
Do you know how you feel moment to moment? Are you in tune with how you feel and you're withholding that? Or is it that you're not even consistently making that connection? I would say yes, but it's inconsistent. I'd say I'm getting better at Mm -hmm. it, at recognizing it, but it would still be somewhat inconsistent. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. You know, I just recently, my interview with him is coming out sometime soon, but I did an interview with Gabor Mate about his book, The Myth of Normal, which is actually would be a good book for you to read. And he talks about how there are all of these small and large ways. He too, like I, calls a big T and little T traumas, all these ways in which our bids for affection and connection and our ability to like feel safe being ourselves and being authentic and feeling our feelings. If there wasn't a receptacle for that, if our parents couldn't hold it or didn't allow it, or like in my situation would shame me or make fun of me or feel over, you know, or feel burdened by my emotions because they were so late in themselves, right? You learn to just like, uh, uh-uh, I'm just, the child has two choices, either decide, okay, these grownups are effed up they're incapable of taking care of my emotional needs and I'm on my own right now, which in a child's mind means death. Like that's petrifying. That's Mm. terrifying, right? So we're not going to think that. What we think is, oh, okay, so I'll just do this. I'll make myself really small. I won't have needs. Oh, they react to me this way when I have feelings. All right, I won't share my feelings anymore. It's not safe to have feelings. Oh, wait, there's nowhere to put these feelings because there's no grown up around me and I'm too small to hold these myself. There's no one around that can help me hold them. Okay, I'll just disassociate from them and repress them. I just won't feel them, mm-hmm. right? Because what's the point? First of all, it's really uncomfortable. It's petrifying because I'm handling this. I'm like this little boo-boo that has no idea how to handle all this. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with all this. And there's no one around me that's showing me and there's no one around me that can help me. And I'm totally on my own. So, okay, I'm just going to like squish this down into the bottom of me and go on with my day and become stoic, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's what you did. God bless you. You wouldn't have survived your childhood. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But now, if you want to work toward that ultimate goal of deep and abiding intimacy, connection, companionship with anyone, including a romantic partner, you got to start unraveling the knots in there that keep your emotions repressed. And you have mm-hmm. to start connecting to how you feel moment to moment. Step mm-hmm. one. Step two, telling the cat how you feel <laughs> when you're with her. Step three, telling friend how you even if it's a stranger in the grocery store i don't care just somebody saying out loud claiming how you feel out loud being vulnerable right and then doing it in a little bit of a higher stakes situation maybe where you really care about that person or like them or the friendship is important to you and so on and so on and as you get to those higher stakes situations and i want you to stay at that level with the friendships for like three to six months where you're really practicing and you're even saying to that friend, listen, I've realized that like most of my life I have disassociated from and repressed my feelings. And so I've made a commitment to myself to really start tuning into, you know, what is that like for you? Do you know what, are you you someone who understand like, this is what it's been like for me. And I'm wondering if like, would you be willing to just like 
let me tell you how I'm feeling because it's really mm. scary for me. I mean, kind of silly, but it's really scary for me to say what I'm feeling, right? And get their buy-in, their safety in their buy-in. You don't have to like give them your feeling and worry that they're not willing to hold it or that they haven't signed up for this or whatever else, right? Mm. So that's the lower stakes version of the higher stakes friendship sharing, right? And as you, my guess is, so one of two things will happen as you do this with your existing friends, let's say. One, which is probably the most likely, is that those friendships will deepen. Mm-hmm. So you will actually start developing some real emotional intimacy and they'll disclose and you'll disclose and it'll be the nature of the friendship. The other is that that person is so bereft and disassociated themselves that they can't handle it. And then they'll drift away and make room for you to call in more friends who really can meet you where you are, right? Mm -hmm. And so there probably is going to be a period, and this is true for all of us. I mean, it's happened in my life several times at several different phases of my life at this point, where as I evolve and my personal and emotional needs expand and shift and change, then often friends who totally met my needs and I met theirs before, it's not like we have a falling out or we decide, you know, I hate you. We're not going to be friends anymore. But it's just like, there, it's not a frequency match anymore. Mm. And those people kind of drift away or you drift away from them. And then there's a pause, right? And so I'm saying this so that you don't panic in the pause. There's a pause <laughs> where like before the new friends show up and when the old friends are dropping off and someone who's has some trauma around self-disclosure and sharing their true emotions may get scared like, oh shit, I'm scaring everyone off. Mm. You're not scaring everyone off. You're scaring off the people that you've attracted in who were a frequency match for someone who shut down from their emotions, right? Mm. So there may be a period of where you can't see who the new friends are and the old friends are drifting away. But if you hold steady and you stay committed to it, you will actually start attracting in new friends who are at that vibration of open-heartedness, emotional maturity, emotional availability. Mm, Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I think to me, what you're really craving is being in relationship, sex is only one small part of a larger relationship. And we're not, I don't even think we're talking about romantic relationships yet, although I'm sure you want one of those. But like you said, the reason I think I want a romantic relationship is because what I really want is someone who I can trust, be my authentic self with, and feel deeply emotionally connected to. Right. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to start practicing that, building that, strengthening that muscle and setting yourself up for success in romantic love is to do that with friendships. Cool. Sounds good. So, so well, again, not friend, easy, but yeah, it's yeah. not easy, but you start, you just start bit by bit, right? Like mm-hmm. you start with your pet, then you move to your existing friends that or strangers, even if that's less scary than friends. Some people, strangers are more scary than friends, right? You choose. And then more meaningful friendships, right? And then after that, and after you've sustained, you know, for like six months to a year, one, at least one real friendship where you are your true self with them and are mm-hmm. telling them how you feel 
and they're telling you how they feel and they have empathy for you and you have empathy for them, then you can think about dating. Mm, Okay. And the other thing that will really help you because you are someone, my guess is you have a very, do you have like an intellectual job? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you're, you're super left brain. And I think super smart, right? And you keep it close enough to the vest that you get along with everyone and don't piss anyone off because no one ever really knows what you're thinking and feeling. But <laughs> what's going to need to that, happen? That has been said, yes. <laughs> yes. So, and there's good reason for that. It was never safe to do that. That was your survival strategy. So what we want now is to unlock, to do what we can to unlock what heretofore has been shut down. And so... One of the things that I think will be really helpful to you, and I talk about this a lot on the show, you've probably heard me in other sessions, is somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you, and I was a big intellectualizer too. I'm less so now at this point in my life, only because I've been doing a lot of this work I'm asking you to do. But it would be really easy for you in talk therapy. I mean, you were even doing it with me in the beginning. Like you can articulate everything really, really well. Mm. But that, like they say in the Course of Miracles, everything, I don't, I'm paraphrasing, but the longest distance is the distance between the brain and the heart. And what I want is for you to really start moving into your body, attuning to how you're feeling, attuning to your emotions, learning to just hold your own emotions and care for your own emotions. And you're going to need some support in continuing to practice that because it's not easy when you've been blocking them your whole life. So somatic experiencing gets you, it's not talk therapy, it gets you out of your thinking mind. So you can't talk about how you're feeling. You're actually processing physically how you're feeling because every emotion we have resides in our body. That's where we feel them. We don't feel emotions in our brains. We feel them in our bodies, but you are cut off from the neck down. And so I really want you to explore somatic experiencing. So you can go to the, you can go to hakomiinstitute.com or traumahealing.org. And in either of those somatic experiencing organizations, you can find a clinician near you who can help. But I think that would be really, really helpful. And let me just see what this book is called. I feel like you need to understand your parents better because that will, because there's a way in which you have, I don't think you did this consciously, but unconsciously, like children do, you know, we're sweet little narcissists and we think everything is because of us as children, right? So there's a way in which you internalized their rejection of your emotional life as being a symbol or a symptom of how worthy of love you are or not. Like you internalized it as your fault. Mm. And that will affect your self-esteem. That will affect your confidence. That will affect your willingness to put yourself out there. So there's a book called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, Mm -hmm. How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents. And it's by a woman named Lindsay Gibson. I really like that book. Great. Okay. So will you practice that Check back in with me in like six to 12 weeks, okay? Mm-hmm. After you start somatic experiencing and practicing with your cat, <laughs> I want to hear within three months that you are starting to put yourself out there, if not before, with friendships. Okay. All right. We got Sounds a good. deal? Yep. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're so welcome. We're cheering you on. 